Turn with me to the Gospel of Luke, the 16th chapter. In your pew Bibles, it's on verse 79. If uh, you're visiting, uh, this new RSV version begins verse 1 back in the Old Testament. Genesis is uh, page 1, and it starts over with 1. Some are a little confused with that. But on page 79 in the back of your New Testament, in verses 10 through 13, Jesus is telling this marvelous parable we're going to look at, but we're going to jump ahead and get to the punchline, to the bottom of this. He talks about this great truth of life that none of us can escape. Together as God's people, let's read verses 10 through 13 aloud. And as you read, listen carefully, you're reading God's word. Whoever is faithful in very little is faithful also in much. And whoever is dishonest in a very little is dishonest also in much. If then you have not been faithful with the dishonest wealth, who will entrust to you the true riches? And if you have not been faithful what belongs to another, who will give you what is your own? No slave can serve two masters, for a slave will either hate the one and love the other, or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. The sins of reading of God's holy word, heaven and earth will pass away, but what you just read never will. Before you see it, I want you to find somebody you've never met. See one thing they're thankful for this morning, maybe just that they're awake. Go ahead, introduce yourselves out there. Wonderful. On this Veterans Weekend, we have a lot that we need to be thankful for. And I would like to ask on this Veterans Weekend, any and all of you who have served in the armed forces, whether in active or reserve, all the men and women that have done that in your life, would you stand so we can show you our appreciation? As not only a grateful nation, but as the church of God, appreciate the price that was paid so that we could worship in freedom. And if any of you have not used your GI bills yet, talk to me after the service. I would like to share with you. <laughs> People and money. It has to consume 95% of our thought life. And when you put them together, you really get interesting results. There's a lot of axioms out there. Mark Twain said, never loan money to a friend because you permanently destroy their memory. <laughs> Someone else said, before borrowing money from a friend, decide which you need more. Expect pastors to talk about money. You know, the number one complaint from people who do not attend church is that when they go to church, the pastor's always talking about money. Well, I'm going to again this morning. If someone had not told me about prayer, I would never know how to pray. Someone had not told me that there's a Savior by the name of Christ that could love someone like Brewer. I would not be with you here this morning, and my future would be a Christless eternity. And if someone had not told me about the power in giving our finances to the Lord, I would know the great peace and freedom that I have. A pastor's always associated with the getting a deal. I don't know if you heard of the gentleman who went to get his hair cut, and 
He was an attorney, and on the way out, he went to pay, and the barber said, You know, you esquires, you work for justice and get so much heat. This one's on me. And the attorney said, Wow, well, thank you. And in the morning when the barber showed up, there were a dozen roses. Next day, he uh, cut the hair of a doctor, and the, the doctor went to pay. He says, You know, you doctors, you do so much for us, and this one's on me. And the doctor said, Thank you. In the morning when the barber showed up, there were a dozen chocolates to say thank you. Next day, he cut a pastor's hair, and when the uh, pastor went to pay for it, the... Uh, Barber said, you know, you men in the cloth, you do so much, and this one's on me. And the pastor said, well, thank you. And in the morning when the barber showed up, there were a dozen pastors waiting for their haircut. <laughs> you know, one of the fascinating and disturbing things about the teaching of Jesus is that very often he takes our ideas of heroes and sets them on their head. We become so acclimated to the good Samaritan, we don't realize that that is like the good Taliban. That a Christian walked by and a preacher walked by, but somebody from the Taliban under Osama bin Laden stopped and helped somebody. That's what that parable's like. Or the story of the tax collector and the Pharisee. The Pharisee was the highest of the laity that loved God. It would be like the church elder and the used car salesman and who he decides to make the hero. But this morning, we're going to take a look at maybe the most disturbing of all Jesus' parables, the crooked accountant. And we've already gotten to the bottom line of this parable. You don't want to overanalyze it too much. What is pointed out the characteristic that's admired is not the crookedness of this accountant, but his resourcefulness, his creativity, He's a shrewd dude. And Jesus says the children of darkness are more resourceful and more dedicated and more creative in living for the false god of mammon than the children of light are in living for the true living God. And the, for us this morning, Bel Air, as far as money, Jesus says there's a question of your happiness is not your earning potential. It's your learning potential. Can you learn the two great values in life? And Bel Air, my brothers and sisters, not only does my task to get us prepared for the day when we stand in front of Christ, but to give you a joy and a freedom in this journey that we have, and you learn the instrumental value of money. It has value, but it's only for how it's used, it's passing, and the intrinsic value of the kingdom and the people next to you in the Lord. Money has great value, but it's a passing value because the riches of this world are passing away. God and the people sitting next to you made in His image have value in and of themselves, not because of what you can get out of them, but simply because they are in His image. And we have this monster privilege this morning. If any of you are visiting for the first time, we're going to do something. I'm the new pastor here, and I'm learning all the great traditions that we have here. This is Harvest Sunday. And all of you have a card in your bulletin. Would you take this out? This is a commitment card. This is simply between you and the Lord. No one knows what this is except a couple here on staff. And uh, Lona, wonderful, our accountant, she attends another church. She doesn't even know you. But this is simply a budgeting tool that the session will use, your leaders, for determining our budget this morning. At the end of our service, I want you to fill this out. And we're going to bring it up here on the table and lay it face down. It's between you and the Lord. If you don't know what to put 
put something down in faith. If this is not your home church, we'll still take your money, but you fill out a check. No, I'm kidding. Uh, if you want to make a commitment here, but this is for wherever your home church is. And if you belong here, you must fill out something. Why do I say that? Because two issues are going on this morning besides value. One is a financial issue. How will we, as the leaders, craft a responsible budget the coming year? And it's connected to this, but this morning isn't about that. This morning is about you and the Lord. And as we lay this down up here, when we find out this great privilege that God wants us to share with Him in this creation together, what an honor and what a thrill life is when you're liberated from this. Money has value, but it's instrumental how we use it. Turn with me back to this fascinating parable of Jesus. If you have your Bible, take it and turn back with me to Luke, the 16th chapter. If you close it, it's on page 79 in the New Testament. And starting in verse 1. Jesus is so smart. You know, for a 30-year-old blue-collar worker from Nazareth, it's like he's God. I don't know if you noticed that. And Here he gives one of his great parables. And as I said, he bothers us because he catches us off guard with who are heroes and villains. Verse 1. Then Jesus said to his disciples, There was a rich man who had a manager, and charges were brought to him that this man was squandering his property. So he summoned him and said to him, What is this that I hear about you? Give me an accounting of your management, because you cannot be my manager any longer. I would title verses 1 and 2, Busted. <laughs> he is a manager and overseer. The Greek word oikonomos, which means household. In fact, the word economy comes from that. And oikonomos was somebody who oversaw the wealth of somebody else. Normally the vineyards and the home. And Jesus has all these stories, all these parables of where the master goes away and he comes back. My brothers and sisters, there isn't a day, there is a day coming of accounting. I don't care what the world has told you. I don't care what you think. Brewer and all of us are someday going to stand before the Lord. Now, we're not going to stand there for the sake of judgment if we've given our life to Christ. And if you haven't, do it this morning. You know, I'm not going to be in that line. Because of Christ's account has been downloaded to me in His blood. I am saved forever because of that. But... I'm going to stand before the Lord to give an account, it says, for the deeds done in the flesh. How we live our life matters. And one of the biggest areas of life is financial. Wealth isn't just money, by the way. Wealth can sometimes be abilities and talent. It can be looks. It can be opportunity. Do you know the scripture says some people are given the wealth of affliction? I pray for that for some of my friends. <laughs> It does. Not everybody can handle And not kidding around. Paul says, to you, Philippi, it's been granted to suffer for the name of Christ. Not everybody can handle that. But financially is what Jesus is talking about. So the manager calls him in, or the owner, and says, you're out of here. I'm going to see what, how long you're going to be in prison. Now watch this. The next I would say, creative finances, verses 3 through 7. Then the manager said to himself, what will I do now that my master's taking the position away from me? I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. I've decided what to do so that when I'm dismissed as manager, people may welcome me into their homes. 
So summoning his master's debtors, one by one, he asked the first, How much do you owe my master? He answered, A hundred jugs of olive oil. He said to him, Take your bill, sit down quickly and make it fifty. Then he asked another, How much do you owe? He replied, A hundred containers of wheat. He said to him, Take your bill and make it eighty. His master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the children of this age are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than are the children of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of dishonest wealth, so that when it is gone, they may welcome you into the eternal homes. Wow. What is Jesus talking about? Well, like I said, Jesus points out the manager is in trouble. And so the owner says, you're out of here. And the manager calls in all the people that have debts and say, hey, what, what do you owe this guy? They say, a hundred, thousand. He says, make it fifty. Hey, I love you. I love you. That's good. <laughs> and then the next one, what do you owe? I owe eighty. Well, make it, make it twenty. No problem. And remember me. Remember me someday. And the, man, the owner says, wow, that's clever. I think if Jesus would have finished the story, he would have said, now throw him in prison. He is not talking about how we are supposed to be cutting corners. He's talking about the passing wealth that has been briefly entrusted, Bel Air, to you and me. God has briefly, and these are tough words. I would disagree a little bit with the translation here of dishonest wealth. It really means worldly wealth, so they use that. That God says the worldly wealth that has been given to you, can you use it for heaven's purposes? Well, that sounds like you could buy a spot in heaven. He's not saying that at all. This is not about buying a place in heaven. It's about preparing our heart for so when we stand before him. Can you and I use the perishable for the permanent? Can you use which is really sand in our fingers that is going to wash away when the tide comes in someday for this little brief span for the good things of the kingdom? And the answer is, you bet we can. And can I tell you what frustration is being a pastor? The biggest frustration is what is called the dignity of rejection. That he's in the, as Jesus hung on the cross for the sins of those people that were mocking him, he gave them the dignity to refuse him. And to be judged. I will talk to many people who will hear the story of the gospel. And they will not give their heart to the Lord. To me that is a remarkable mystery. Second biggest one. I believe not many. But most Christians I will talk with. Will hear the story about honoring God. And will live their lives and financially not honor Him. It's a mystery to me. Why we trust Him with our souls, but we don't trust Him with our finances. And why is that? Because the average American gives 1.7% of their income to charity. And the average Bible-believing, evangelical, premillennial, baptized in the Holy Spirit Christian, are you ready for this? Gives 2.3%. I mean, that's stunning to me. How in the world did we ever think that we can't trust the Lord with this? It's a great mystery. And what God shows here is he doesn't admire laziness. The shrewd dude is using all of his cylinders under the hood. God doesn't admire laziness physically. Have you noticed his laws? You take a perfectly good body, 
and you just sit it there and it deteriorates? Trust me, I know this. <laughs> you have to exercise it. It's true in relationships. If you only hang around people that you like, you're first of all not going to be hanging around a lot of people. And second of all, your relationships are going to be stunningly shallow. It takes work in relationships. But it is extremely true about spiritual things. This is a struggle. And God says we must be clever. We must be partners created with Him. With whatever wealth God has given to us. And the remarkable thing is that God Almighty would stoop down and say, I want you to share with me. And not just in some little blind, silly, write out a check way, but in a creative way to bring all of ourselves to say, Lord, what can I do? That's what the Bible calls wise. In the Old Testament, wisdom is not knowing facts. Wisdom is applying truth. I know people that know facts forward and back. They have photographic memories almost. I have a photographic memory. It's just that I don't have same-day service. I don't know about that, but <laughs> comes to me later. But I know they can quote to me theology, they can quote to me things, and when it comes to the things of life, they are as dumb as a stump. I mean that. They live for themselves, they live for just preparing, they pretend they can live this contradictory life, and yet they know so much. You hung around people in the world? I mean, some of them are wonderful people. Uh, Carol and I recently got a chance uh, to... Go down, uh, last night it was, and to be at a celebration at the Staples Center is uh, proof of the last days. The Kings beat the Red Wings, and uh, as we were celebrating and, and meeting different people, and, and some very, I mean, brilliant people in economics and brilliant people in entertainment. And I tell you, when you talk to them about their life, you think they're grade schoolers. I mean, they haven't even learned the first lessons of life. That's not going to happen to us. We, by God's grace, are going to say we're going to stand and to grow. Money has power. It can do wonderful things. That's why we're talking about it. It's why God loans it to us. But it's passing. I'm sure many of you have heard of the great gathering in 1928 at the Edgewater Beach Hotel. Have you read this? The greatest financiers of that day were gathered together. Combined, they had more wealth than the U.S. Treasury. The president of the largest utility company, the greatest wheat speculator, president of the New York Stock Exchange, a member of the president's cabinet, the greatest bear on Wall Street. This is before the crash. The president of the Bank of International Settlements and the heads of the world's greatest monopoly. The great minds and powers of the market were gathered together for this very expensive dinner. Twenty-five years later, the newspapermen who had interviewed them about the future of life followed up. The president of the largest independent steel company, Charles Schwab, lived on borrowed money the last five years of his life and died broke. The greatest wheat speculator, Arthur Cutton, died abroad totally broke. The president of the New York Stock Exchange, Richard Whitney, served a term in Sing Sing prison. Member of the president's cabinet, Albert Fall, was pardoned from prison so he could die at home. The greatest bear in Wall Street, Jesse Livermore, committed suicide. The president of the Bank of International Settlements, Leon Frazier, committed suicide. The head of the world's greatest monopoly, Ivar Druger, committed suicide. These men knew how to make money. 
They did not know how to live a life. And Bel Air, we are going to, by God's grace, and in simple trust and obedience, live a great life. You know, there was debtor's prison in the time of Christ. If you couldn't pay your visa, they didn't take away your home. They threw you in prison. And you worked for about a half a dollar a day until you paid that debt off. Do you know how many people I know that are in debtor's prison? Even though they have money? Three of the leaders, and of my different churches that I've had before, one man was so gifted, a graduate of Stanford on a scholarship, just a brilliant man. He had a, an investment fund. He was paying so much out to Christian ministries, he thought he could shave the edges, and he ended up, last time I talked to him, he had just gotten out of prison. Another one I know played a little footsie with some loans, and that, and they were honoring the Lord and all these things, but they just needed a few more dollars, and he went away. One of my other friends who was selling insurance to the Denver Broncos and other professional athletes and was taking the money, it was a cash flow problem, it really was. And he was holding it for years, and he went away to jail. And you know what's sad? Is they were so much more in prison when they were on the outside than when they bent their knee on the inside. Money is a wonderful servant, it's a horrible master. And everybody's wealth has been loaned to us. And that's the fun thing about it. If you can't handle money, give it to me. I'll handle it for you. It's loan to us. And it's got power, but is a means to the end. It's like gas to the car. It's like the wind in the sails. It's like food to the body or medicine to health. It's a means to an end. And there's a difference between earning a living and what you're living for. And the difference is spelled out right here. And you and I decide that. And that's what's so much joy about it. Because not only is there instrumental value of money that's passing, there's this intrinsic value of the kingdom, the permanent riches of eternity. Jesus says, as you see over in verse 10, Whoever is faithful in little will be faithful in much, and if you're dishonest in a little, you'll be dishonest in much. If you haven't been faithful with earthly wealth, who would give you true riches? And I love this. If you haven't been faithful what belongs to another, God, why would he give you your own? No one can serve two masters. He will hate the one and love the other. He'll be loyal to one and despise the other. And we say, oh, that's not true. Mark Twain uh, said he didn't believe in bigamy because Christ said you can't serve two masters. <laughs> At some point, there are two people that are going to say, for a while, you can string them along. But at some point, a God will say, serve me. This is not a godless culture. It serves a different God. And you and I serve the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, and you know how you know if you're, how your servanthood is? How do you act when somebody treats you like a servant? The moment somebody orders you around, tells you to do something, if you react with, hey, 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 do you know who you're talking to? That's a good barometer of where you're at as far as a servant of Christ. I'm not saying hate yourself. I'm saying, are you willing to serve even those that are flat out wrong? Do you know where you're at when somebody who doesn't understand as much as you do has power? We were back in Denver. We did a lot of things sharing together, in which I believe the Lord is, uh, by His grace and His timing, we're going to start hooking, as you know, with other churches around here. One time I was with the uh, governor when he was running uh, <laughs> for uh, office, and he went to... Uh, 
one of the downtown churches, uh, one of the African-American fellowships there, and, and they were having this great uh, barbecue afterwards. And he got in line, and there was a long line, and he came to the sweet lady, and uh, he, is really, he hadn't eaten all day, and she just put one chicken leg on the, his plate, and he said, you know, I'm really hungry. Uh, can I have two chicken legs? And she said, oh, I'd love to, but look, there's a long line. We've got to pass this out. And he said, well, do you know who I am? I'm... And she said, well, yes. And do you know who I am? I'm the woman who runs the chicken. Now move on. <laughs> a great story. Uh... <laughs> do you know a lot of times in our life, do you know when you're, what your real worth is? What your value is to God? How do you act when you lose your money? And by the way, do you know all the dot-com money that went away? It's all dot-com money. It's all passing. I had a friend, he said his mother was the most ruthless player of Monopoly, his grandmother, that he'd ever seen. She was the sweetest lady till those dice and those hotels came out. And you know, she would just take you for all you were worth. But he said, you know, at the end of the night, it all went back in the box. Someday, this stumpy little body of mine or you, you're going to be in a box. And it's all going to go back in. And the only thing that will matter this fast is how much we've trusted the Lord. And Jesus says, if you can trust him now, wait till they give you your own wealth. The Bible, Christians are accused of just being pie-in-the-sky futuristics. Well, you know, either the Bible's true or it's a lie. And if it's true, that means we're in a tough life now, but someday there is going to be justice. And someday God will honor those that have honored Him, in this life and in the next. It says that Moses forsake all the treasures of Egypt because he looked to the reward. It says that Paul said, all that I had gained I count as loss for what? For the surpassing value of knowing Christ. I leave what is behind and I reach forward to what lies ahead. And then, look at this last response. Verse 14. The Pharisees who were lovers of money heard all this. And by the way, they love money not just because they love money. It was a sign that God had blessed them. And they ridiculed him and he said to them, You are those who justify yourselves in the sight of others. But God knows your hearts. What is prized by human beings is an abomination in the sight of God. It's funny who we kiss up to and we admire and stroke for our values. And some of them are nice people, but you know, Jesus said, I tell you, there's a day coming when what you value will not make it. What will make it is those that have the intrinsic values of the kingdom. And God is always teaching. You know, as I said, I was honored... And privileged to grow up in a Christian family, even though it fell apart. And I was taught as an early age, you honor the Lord. You just financially, the first 10% belongs to the Lord. But I want to tell you, every time I write out a check or give something to the Lord, it's not, we, that's easy. And even when I was studying in seminary, I can confess with this group that when we were going to Fuller, Carolina High, we were going through and, you know, working together as maids in a home over in a Altadena and, you know, trying to get our shekels together. And there came a time when uh, tuition was due and we hadn't paid a tithe. And I was going to hold back to it. And I said, you know, Carolyn, I'd, you know, I'd like to do that. But money's really hard, honey. We're 
we got so many bills, and she said, well, I think you need to honor the Lord. I said, well, I do, but, you know, I'm studying to be a pastor, and, uh, and uh, I, I don't, you know, I think God understands. And she said, oh, I, I thought it says that all of us are supposed to. And don't you hate that about wives? I don't know. And <laughs> so uh, we did, and faith, we wrote up. I tell you before God that two weeks later, somebody that I had met years ago, living up in Seattle, sent a check to us to help a school for the exact amount that we had given to the tithe. And the only thing I could think was, why didn't I give more? (laughs) God takes care. Can I tell you something else? That as I stand here this morning and we have honored the Lord this past financially, our money is aloha oi, God. Praise the Lord, we just sold our house in Denver, we believe. That's the good news. Amen. The other news is we had to crash at $80,000 to unload it. So say to the kids, money, goodbye. You know, our funds are just like yours. They say it never snows here. If I buy stock in Sunkist, it's going to snow, I tell you that. It's all gone too. And you know what? God doesn't always promise that finances come in miraculously, but He does at times. But He tells you this, I promise I will take care of you. And God will take care of us. And God will take care of you. Do you know the best time to plant a tree? Don't I love the trees in California. 25 years ago. You know the second best time? Right now. You know the best time to trust God with life? 25 years ago. When he could give you a peace and a joy in the middle of the tough economy and to know that he's there. You know the second best time? Right now. What we're going to do here in a moment is we're going to sing together a song. And we're going to be asking you to bring up a card and to place it face down here on the communion table. And this is a harvest time. If there's some of you, again, if this is your home church, if you can only put down $10 a month, and you can say, I'm going to give to the Lord $120 this next month, do that. Whatever you do, don't wait until you can give 10%, because you'll never give anything. It's one of Satan's great diversion tactics. God doesn't ask you for what you don't have. He asks you to honor Him with what you do. If you don't have any money and you want to be able to put up, I'm going to put $5 down, but I put a praise on this then you just write that down. Anything except the budgeting tool. We as elders want to be good stewards of this, and we're using it for that. But this is really between you and the Lord. And as you bring it forward to say, thank you. Do you know how much God has given us? This is a time for us to reach out. And you know, we are in some serious times here at Bel Air, but that's not what this morning's about. I'll talk to you about that later. If we don't respond in a real positive way, I know that we can, we'll make some adjustments. And it'll be painful, but God will take care of us. But this morning, there are so many more kids to reach. Oh, when you see all the people that are finding the Lord in this service and in the next hour, there are so many neat ministries in this city and around the world that we want to equip and help and put gas into their tanks. Do you know our families, some of them are falling apart, but we have the power to bring them together so they can look at each other's with lover's eyes again and to bring healing if we can get to them. And what we want to do this morning is to say thank you, Lord. Thank you for what you have done. When I was in Tanzania, 
one time working there. The offering we did, this was really outside of Moshi. They bring their harvest in, and we stopped, and we went out to the streets. This is, as a church, it's great. And we sold it for whatever we could. It took about an hour and a half. And then we came back in and presented the cash before the Lord. Some of the people had this the last week, rather than a handful of rice, they took half a handful for themselves, and the other half they put aside. One little African, a cute kid, uh, he'd come up, I was in Nguzi, which, you know, white wanderer, he had never really met one, he wondered if this stuff could rub off, and, and he was talking to the translator that he had been growing this papaya and been praying for it all season, and he had harvested it, and now in how much money he got and brought. And we brought it before the Lord in the joy they had. You know, I'm thinking that. I think we ought to go out here and sell these cars right now out in the street and uh, bring that up. But there are so many ways to do this. This is the time to say thank you to the Lord. This is the time to say, oh God, you have cared. It's a holy moment. And this is the time to say, Lord, we don't need to worry about the economy. We don't need to be worry about our sins. You've paid for them. We don't need to worry about death. We're going to live forever. We don't need to be afraid. You've conquered it all. Let's pray, shall we? Father, we do thank you that you've loved us in such a way that we cannot even express. Oh, God, thank you. You have blessed us as a nation. I thank you, Lord, for the men and women throughout the ages that have honored you and you've always taken care of. God, we who are so wealthy in this country, we are humbled by what your children do around the world and throughout all time. And the only way we can respond is to say that you are faithful and we trust you. So, Lord, I pray for those right now. I pray for those that belong to other churches. May they go back newly dedicated to their mission where they are at. And, Lord, for the rest of us, may we come and lay before you the great things you are going to do. So we love you, Lord, and we bless you. And we pray now that you would receive this little symbol, a token gift of what you have given to us. Bless it, Lord, for the glory of Christ. But we will someday look in the eye and will hug us. And we will smell his hair and feel his heartbeat against us. We will be home. Until then, Lord, may we be found faithful. Because you are to us. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen.